But here we go. Luke 10, 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your infallible and inerrant word that we can trust like a rock that will never fail us. And we pray that it would teach us something very practical today, that you'd make us into people like Mary, that love to be at your feet, people of pure-hearted devotion to Jesus Christ, who find that to be the greatest and most special place to be. So, Lord, I pray you'd help me now as I seek to preach and bring this text to life. And I pray that it would minister by the power of your Spirit to each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A time management expert was once giving a seminar to a bunch of business students. And to illustrate a point he wanted to make, he took out a gallon mason jar with a wide rim on the top, and he started putting in fist-sized rocks into that jar. You guys have probably heard this story, haven't you? <laughs> well, let's do it anyway. So he, he filled that jar all the way to the top, and he's, he asked his business students, so, is the jar full? And they said, yes. He said, no. And then he pulled out a bucket of gravel, and he poured the gravel into the top of that mason jar until he couldn't get any more gravel in. And then he said, now is the jar full? And by this time, they'd learned their lesson, and they said, no, I don't think so. He said, you're right. And then he pulled out a bucket of sand, and he poured the sand on the top, and he started shaking that, that jar so that the sand started to go in all the places where the big rocks and the gravel hadn't gone. And then he says, okay, is the jar full now? And they said, no. He said, you're right. He took a picture of water, and he started pouring water in the top of that jar, and the water came from the bottom all the way to the top to the very brim. And he said, okay, so what's the point of this little illustration that I've shared with you? And one eager student says, I know, I know. Here's the point. When our schedule is as full as we think it can possibly be, if we try really hard, we can fit at least a few more things into it. And the, the fellow says, no, no, that's not quite it. Here's the point that I was trying to make. Unless you put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. Jesus is going to share in this passage here about one big rock. Not many. There's really only one big rock. Notice verse 42, only one thing is necessary. He's going to talk to us about the big rock that we've got to get into our jar first before we put anything else in, because if we don't, it'll never happen. So my goal this morning is to motivate you to make your relationship with Jesus Christ, where you sit at his feet and hear his word, as the number one priority of your life. I'm just telling you up front, that's my goal. And if I'm not able to do that, I've failed. If I'm able to persuade you and get you going down that path, then I think I've done my job this morning. Because that's what the Lord is teaching from this passage. 
Now, before we head into it, this story, let's just remember the context. Back in chapter 9 and verse 51, it says, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. So from chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus has been heading from uh, Galilee up north, down south to Jerusalem. And as he's going, he's weaving in and out of various villages and towns, and he's teaching. Now, that's really interesting to me because Luke chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 are almost entirely teaching by Jesus. If you have a red-letter version of the Bible, just flip through it. It's almost all read from chapter 10 through chapter 18 because Jesus is talking in all those chapters and he's teaching his disciples. You see, he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to die. And he knows that he needs to prepare his disciples to take over to do the mission when he's gone. And so he's got so many months left and so he pours himself into his disciples by teaching them over and over and over. And he gives them lessons like prayer, obedience to the word, hypocrisy, the fear of God, the providence of God, covetousness, worry, humility, giving, hell, his second coming, and the danger of self-righteousness. And so the disciples are sort of entering on the last semester of their education from Jesus before he's going to leave them. Now as we move away from the context back into our story, Luke 10, 38, I want to do two things. First of all, we want to focus in on Martha. And we want to learn as much as we can about this woman. And then we're going to focus in on Mary and learn as much as we can about her. So first of all, Martha. Three things we see about Martha here. First, she welcomed the Lord. Look at verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. It says, now as who was traveling? They. They. Jesus is not walking along alone here. He's, as usual, he's with his disciples. So there are at least 12 disciples with Jesus. And sometimes Jesus had far more that would travel along with them. Remember back in chapter 8, many women traveled with him. So there's at least 12 men, plus Jesus, traveling along. And it says he entered a village. Now, Luke doesn't tell us the name of that village, but John does. In John chapter 11, we learn that the village is Bethany. And Bethany was two miles east of Jerusalem, which would make it very convenient for the Lord during the last week of his life. In fact, we're going we're to see as we study through the Gospels that Jesus, on the last week of his life, would go into Jerusalem to do his ministry, but at the end of the day, he would come back, walk the 30 minutes back to Bethany, and stay there, probably here with Mary Martha and Lazarus. And it says a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Whose home did Jesus enter? Martha's. Martha's home. It's not Mary's home. It's not Lazarus's home. It's Martha's home. Now, it may have been that Lazarus and Mary lived in this home. We don't know for sure. That's not explicitly told us. All we know is that this was Mar uh, Martha's home. She owned the home, and if Mary lived there or if Lazarus lived there, they lived as sort of guests of Martha because this was her home. We're never introduced to a husband of Martha or Mary, and so some have speculated that by this time perhaps Martha is a widow. 
and her husband has died, but he's left her this home that she's still staying in. We can't tell for sure about that. But what we do know is that she welcomed Jesus, and I assume his 12 disciples, into her home. It would be a bit rude for to welcome Jesus and say, you guys have to go find someplace else to stay tonight. <laughs> so I imagine, I'm just speculating, but it makes sense to me that all 13 are coming into her home to spend some time there. Now, if she's welcoming these men into her home, that's going to bring a certain responsibility into her life. She's going to become responsible to lodge these men and to feed these men, to make them comfortable. She's the hostess. She is the one providing the hospitality. And this is the very first time chronologically as you move through the Gospels where you find Mary and Martha. The first time we're introduced to them. Now they come up two other times in Scripture. John 11 and John 12. John 11, when Lazarus dies, and John 12, when there's a special feast that they make in Jesus' honor a few days before he goes to the cross. But this is the first time, so we're being introduced to them scripturally for the first time here. So she welcomes him into her home. That's the first thing we see about her. Secondly, we see that she served the Lord. Not only, not only did she welcome the Lord, she served him. In verse 40, we read about all her preparations and all the serving. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. So she's making preparations and she's serving. Can you imagine, ladies, what it would be like to invite the Son of God to come and stay at your home? I mean, how would you feel? Besides being incredibly honored. Do you think that would bring a little bit of pressure along with it? The Messiah, the, the Son of God is coming and staying here. And, and you would have, I'm sure, felt that everything has got to be just right. The house has got to be spotless. The food's got to be the best you've ever made because it's the Lord that you're serving. And so I, I suppose that when she accepted this responsibility, some stress and some pressure came along with it. So I can imagine her getting really busy, really fast. <laughs> She's cleaning her house. And she's got a roast in the oven, you know, and she's kneading the bread because she's going to make homemade biscuits for the Lord and his disciples. And she's getting down the wine to serve with the meal. And she's providing some kind of a dessert. And so she's busy, busy, busy. You know, I'm sure that she had heard of Christ by now. In fact, in verse 40, she calls him Lord, which tells me that she was probably a genuine believer. She knew that Christ was the Lord, the Master. She trusted him as a, a believer, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. She had probably heard much about Jesus. By this time, the name of Jesus was a household word because his fame had spread throughout the entire region of Palestine. By his miracles and his healings and his casting out of demons and his teaching, his fame had preceded him. And Martha and Mary and Lazarus, I'm sure, had heard about him by now, but this is the first time we actually see them in conversing with the Lord and bringing him into their very home. And so because she knows who Jesus is and has heard so much about him, it's a great honor for her to welcome him into her home. Nothing is too good for the Lord, and so she's going to go all out to do everything she can, pull out all the stops and provide the best she can for Jesus Christ when, she, when he comes under her roof.
So we see from this that Martha was a worker. You can't fault Martha for being lazy, can you? She was a busy bee, you know. She was just on the move, on the go. She was preparing and she was serving. She was a diligent woman. She was industrious. And I'm sure that that aspect of Martha's life pleased the Lord. Don't you think? She's doing whatever she can to serve him. So in one sense, yes, the Lord is pleased. But we're going to find out that he's, he's greatly pleased with something else. So Martha welcomed the Lord. Then Martha served the Lord. But sadly, Martha was distracted from the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you even care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. You know, it's good to serve the Lord. In fact, we're commanded to serve the Lord in Scripture. We ought to be serving the Lord. But it's a bad thing when that service to the Lord becomes distraction from the Lord. And that's what had happened in Martha's life. What we find her doing is actually neglecting the guest of honor that she had welcomed into her house because she was so busy running around and scurrying and going here and going there that she had left him in the other room with Mary, and that's about it. And she's in the kitchen flying around trying to get this meal prepared. Now, ask yourself this question. What do you think motivated her busy, industrious service? What was making her do this? Well, one of the things that came to my mind was maybe she just had misplaced priorities. Maybe she thought that the most important thing that she ought to be doing at that particular moment was making the meal and making sure everything was just right. We're going to find out that Jesus doesn't put that as the highest priority. In fact, he says something is much more important than that. I'm sure that Jesus probably didn't care that much about the meal or about where he slept. His first order of business was not, can I have a comfortable place to sleep? Or can I have a delicious meal that's hot and on time? That's not really the Lord's concern. His concern was to be in the other room teaching the Word of God and giving out divine truth. He had truth that he needed his disciples to get. And so that's what was on the heart of Jesus. So maybe it was just misplaced priorities. Maybe that's why she was so busy at this particular time. And then I thought, well, maybe it was also the approval of man. She wanted the disciples and Jesus' approval. She didn't them, want them thinking, man, this house is kind of dirty. Don't you ever dust around here, Martha? You know, <laughs> The food's not really that tasty. Can't we put a little salt on it? You know, she didn't want anyone to complain or criticize her. She wanted their approval, not their rejection. And that's just a possibility. Uh, but whatever the reason was, we find that Jesus wasn't as concerned about those things as Martha was. He was concerned about spiritual instruction. And it's really sad when our busy service distracts us from the Lord like Martha's did. Now, notice that her distraction turned to worry and bother. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. She was worried. She was worried if her house was clean enough, if the food was going to be tasty enough, if she was going to have it prepared on time, if there was enough room for the disciples to sleep in her home. She was worried, worried, worried. But she was also bothered, meaning she was resentful. I mean, 
Don't you kind of, when you read between the lines of verse 41, don't you see that? Actually, it's verse 40. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? I can just imagine her in the kitchen running about like a chicken with his head cut off, trying to get this done on time. And she's thinking, there's no way I'm going to be, ever be able to do this by myself. There's just too much work and too little time to get it done in. And the stress is mounting, and she's becoming more and more angry as she thinks about her sister in the other room just sitting there listening to a Bible study while she single-handedly has to try to do all of this stuff alone. And so she's starting to fume. And as she's kneading that bread, or she's starting to pound the bread with her fist and stomp with her feet. And finally, she just explodes like a pressure cooker. When she can't take it anymore, she runs into the other room, interrupts Jesus in the middle of his teaching, and says, Lord, don't you care? Accusing the Lord of not caring about her. So what are the fruits of distraction from the Lord? You have the fruits of worry, anxiety, resentment, anger, complaining, and criticism. Not such good fruit, is it? And have you ever saw any of those fruits coming out of your life? Anger, resentment, criticism, complaining, any of those things? It might be because we're doing the same wrong thing that Martha was doing. We're not taking time to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his word. Instead, we're trying, instead we're trying to do, do, do without the power of Jesus and the joy of Jesus that comes from relationship to Jesus. So there we find Martha, and we see that she was a good woman. She was a believer. She loved the Lord. She called him Lord. And she tried to show her, her devotion to the Lord by serving him, but there was something much better that the Lord would have her to do. So let's look at, Mar at Mary now, the second woman. There's only really one or two verses here that deal with Mary. The first one is in verse 39. It says, she had a sister called Mary who is seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And so Mary here becomes our model, the model of the, the believer that the Lord is delighted with. She had a heart of true devotion for the Lord. You know, wherever you find Mary in the Bible, she is always at the feet of Jesus. You find that here. If you go to John chapter 11, she falls at the feet of Jesus, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then in the very next chapter, you find her at the feet of Jesus. She takes this very expensive perfume and she's pouring it on his feet to prepare him for burial and wiping it with the hair of her head. So all three times in Scripture where she appears, she's at the feet of Jesus Christ. She's a woman who just wanted to be close to the Lord. Wherever Jesus was, that's where she wanted to be. If Jesus is teaching, she wants to be right there listening, drinking it in. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus actually permitted her to sit at his feet while he taught, because Jewish culture in that particular day, uh, let me just say, that there wasn't a real high regard for women in that particular culture. In fact, it was thought that you, you wouldn't even teach the Torah to women, that that was something that you'd just teach the men. In the synagogues, they would have the men on one side and the women on the other, and the, whoever's giving the word would be talking to the men. Now, the women could hear it, but he wasn't really addressing them. So what we find here in, in Jesus' own treatment of women is that he treated them counterculture. 
with a very high degree of respect and honor and dignity. One of the sayings, one of the prayers of a Jewish man in the first century went like this, Lord, I thank you that you did not make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. So that's how men felt. Because women were put down, men were elevated. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? Here, he, he is enjoying Mary sitting there, basking in his presence as he teaches her the word of God, and he doesn't shun her. He doesn't send her away to the kitchen. He says, you stay right here. No one's going to take this away from you. This is the good part. I want you to stay and do exactly what you're doing. In fact, in John chapter 4, do you remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and his disciples came back? It says that they were amazed that he had been talking to a woman. They were amazed that Jesus would take the time to talk to a woman. Now, it says here that she's sitting at his feet. There in verse 39. What is that all about? What does it mean to sit at someone's feet? Well, of course, literally, it means to sit down close to the feet of somebody else. But that was an expression that was used in Scripture as well. Um, in Acts chapter 22, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul is describing his upbringing when he lived in Tarsus. And he says that he was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Well, it doesn't mean that he was actually sitting at Gamaliel's feet every single day. It means that he was a disciple of Gamaliel. He was a learner. He had someone who put himself under the authority of Gamaliel to learn as much as he could from his master teacher. And when Mary takes that posture at the feet of Jesus, she's saying the same thing. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. He is the master. He is the Lord. I'm going to take a posture here of the learner. I haven't come to tell the Lord how he ought to be running things. I've come here to receive instructions from the Lord as to what he wants me to do. I haven't come to talk to him or to direct him or to command him. Now we're going to see that Martha does that. She comes and commands the Lord, tell her to come and help me. But Martha doesn't take that posture. She takes the posture of a very humble Disciple, a servant of Jesus Christ. We find the same posture taken in Luke chapter 8. Do you remember the man who was possessed with a legion of demons? And when Jesus cast them out, the townspeople came back, and what they saw was this man that they knew was a crazy man who was always running around naked. Now he was clothed, sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind. He had become a disciple of the Lord, sitting at his feet, just drinking in whatever the Lord said. And so I, I, what I see in Mary's life is just a woman that loved Jesus. She loved his word because that word brought life and joy and peace. It was life-giving to her. It was more important to her than everything else. And so I wonder, what about you and I? Are we like Mary or are we like Martha when it comes to how we regard the Lord? How many Marthas here and how many Marys do we have? I admit, I'm a, Mar I'm a Martha. <laughs> I am a Martha. And I have to fight against the tendency to do. So we find Mary sitting at the Lord's feet hearing his word. And also we find that Mary received the Lord's approval in verse 42. The Lord said, only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha comes in in a huff, doesn't she? She's angry. She's resentful. 
And she starts ordering Jesus around. Tell her to come in there and start helping me. But Jesus doesn't obey her. Jesus doesn't do what she says. Instead, the Lord gives a mild rebuke to Martha. He, I, I'm sure he loved Martha. This is a gentle rebuke, but it is a rebuke. Martha, Martha, you're worried. You're bothered about so many things. I just want you to look your, for a minute, Martha, at your sister. What is she doing? She's sitting at my feet. She's hearing my word. She's chosen the good part. Martha, what she's doing is a better thing than what you've chosen. Not that what you're doing is bad, but what she's doing is better. It's the good part. And I'm not going to take that away from her. I'm not sending her away. She is to stay here. So as Martha comes in in a huff, Jesus brings this gentle correction to her. And he, he's saying to her, basically, I, I'm taking Mar Mary's side in this matter. She's the one who's doing the right thing at this moment. Now, let's, let's wind all of this up. We've exposited the passage. Let's bring out some application for a, a little bit here. What is the lesson of the Holy Spirit teaching? What is the Holy, why did the Holy Spirit put this in our Bibles? This is the only place this is found. It's not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, it's not in John, only in Luke chapter 10. There's a reason that the Holy Spirit has included this in the sacred canon of Scripture, and I believe it's this. There's one lesson. The one necessary thing in our lives is communion with Jesus Christ. That's necessary. Nothing else is. That is absolutely necessary. Are you hearing me, folks? This isn't optional. You have to have this. And for Jesus, this is number one priority of any disciple, is to sit at his feet and to listen to his word. This is more important than your career. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your family. It's more important than your husband, your wife, or your children, or your grandchildren. This is more important than your hobbies, your interests. It's more important than the entertainment that you seek. This is more important than anything else you will do in your life. It's sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. Jesus values communion with him over our service to him. Now, let me just ask you, is that really and practically your number one priority in your life? I mean, if you were to be honest, would you say, yep, this is, that's it. Spending time with Jesus Christ every day comes before anything else. It's more important to me than anything else in my life. And I prioritize my life so I make sure that that's not cut out. I may have to cut out all other kinds of things, but I'm not going to cut out my time that I spend with Jesus Christ. Sitting at his feet, hearing his word. Is it more important to you? Then all the things I've listed, family, career, job, hobbies, entertainment. Even if we talked about our entertainment for a minute, our pursuit of that. You know, the national average I found, I looked online to get this, is about five hours a day is the average that a person will spend uh, either watching television or playing some kind of video or computer game to entertain themselves. Five hours every day. Do we spend five hours a day in our communion with Christ? 
Or you say, well, I don't spend five hours. I only spend about two or three. Well, do you spend two or three hours developing your relationship with Jesus, sitting at his feet, hearing his word? There's three questions I want to ask you this morning to let, try to get this principle to go deep into our hearts and to change us. Number one, let me ask you this. How much do you value communion with Christ? And when I talk about communion with Christ, I'm not talking about what we're going to do later today when we take the bread and the cup. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about fellowship with Christ, your relationship with Christ. How much do you value that? Do you value that as much as Jesus values that? We know that Jesus values that because of the story. He values it, and he says it's more important than anything else. Well, do we agree with the Lord? Do we say, you're absolutely right, Lord, I agree, and that's how I'm going to live my life, in line with what you say. Serving the Lord is good, it is necessary, we ought to do it. In fact, Romans 12, 11 says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, but serving the Lord is not the best thing. It's not the one thing necessary. And we find here that Jesus values our communion with him over our service to him. We tend to value work over worship, don't we? We tend to value work over worship. And that's what gets us overcommitted. And a lot of churches, there are a certain number of people who will just commit to doing everything in the church. I mean, I, on the one hand, I really value that spirit that they're willing to just throw themselves in. But the problem is, they become like Martha. They become, well, pressured and stressed and resentful and angry and upset and criticizing and complaining because look at all those other people that don't do anything and I can't keep up, right? It's because we value do, 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 do over, let's just sit at Jesus' feet and let's relate to Christ. Let him talk to me. I want to talk to him. I want to develop my relationship with the living Lord of history. So that, that happens quite a bit. Number one, how much do you value communion with Christ? And I'd like to challenge you, if it's not already your number one priority, that you're going to make a decision today, okay, I can see from the lips of Christ, that's what it must be, that's what it needs to be, I'm going to change today. I'm going to make this my greatest value, my number one priority. Okay, question number two, what prevents you from seeking communion with Christ? What's keeping you from doing it? I came up with a couple of options that, that might hit home. I know that they've hit home for me. Uh, technology. My iPhone. <laughs> my computer that's on my desk. My tablet. You know, we have a lot of things that we struggle with today that people back in the 1700s and Jonathan Edwards' day, they never had to worry about. They didn't have phones. They didn't have computers. They didn't have bells and things going off all the time. It was, Edwards talks about how he likes to go for walks in the woods and just meditate on the glory of God. He spent a lot of time just thinking out in the woods by himself. Well, where are the woods around here? To walk, you know? It's awfully hard to find a place of solitude, just to be alone with Jesus in the kind of day and the pressures that we face. So technology. I discovered about three or four weeks ago that I have a much more blessed time of sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word if I don't turn on the computer, it's the first thing I do when I get up. How many of you, the very first thing you do when you get up out of bed is to turn on your phone and see if you have anything there that you need to attend to? <laughs> okay, let's just be honest. Let's, let's 
make a decision today that we're going to break that cycle. We're not going to do that anymore until we spend some time with Jesus Christ. I know sometimes that it's not possible to do that just because your employer maybe has to get a hold of you or you have to get a hold of them or something. But and to the extent that you can do this, let's set that aside and let's seek the Lord. You know, technology can be a tremendous blessing. I mean, there's almost nothing that my little phone can't do. Uh, really, really, it can make movies, it can take pictures, it, I can, it can have it read the Bible to me if I want to listen to it. I mean, it can tell me how hot it's going to be today, when the next storm is coming. Almost anything. <laughs> what a blessing. But it becomes a curse if it keeps you away from Jesus Christ, which it can easily do when we're focused on that gadget rather than Jesus. So that's one thing. That might be something that's preventing you from communion with Christ. A second one might be just the pressures of the day. Has it ever happened to you that you get up and you think, man, I have got so much to do, I better get going now. And so you're off and you're running from the moment you get up. And you're doing, 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 thinking I've got to go as fast as I can or I'll never get all this stuff done today. Well, if that's the case, then those pressures of the day have got to change. Because those pressures that you're facing are not as important as your time spent with Jesus. Amen? Is that true? So, something's got to change. Either uh, you're going to have to get up early enough so you can spend time with Jesus and then attack the pressures of the day. Or you're going to have to get rid of a few of those pressures of that day. Or you're going to have to learn to manage your time a little bit better so that you can get more accomplished with the time you have. Something's going to have to change because you cannot sacrifice time spent with Jesus Christ. You can't do that. That's the one thing that's necessary. So, if, if you know that you're going to have to get running by 8 o'clock in the morning to accomplish the things you have for that day, then you're going to have to get up a couple hours earlier. You're going to have to make time because time's never just going to <laughs> present itself to you, you're going to have to make it, carve it out. And so maybe you're going to need to get up around 6. And you say, well, I can't do that. I'm only going to get 4 or 5 hours of sleep if I get up at 6. Well, then you're going to have to discipline yourself to go to bed earlier. You see, this has got to come before anything else, and this has got to be more important than anything else. So the second question, what prevents you? I'd like you to think about that right now. Okay, what is it that's preventing me from doing what Christ commended Mary in doing. Maybe you even write it down if you have a pen and a paper. This is, what's, this is the thing that's preventing me from doing that. Okay, pinpoint it, and then starting, even right now, start repenting of making that thing more important to you than Christ is. Repent of it. In other words, confess that to God as sin. Agree with God that it's evil in his sight, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, seek from today to begin to remove that from your life. Forsake that as sinful in God's sight. Okay, there's repentance. Third question. What will you do to pursue communion with Christ? What are you going to do differently to make sure this happens in your life every day? I'm going to give you some principles that I think will help you. Number one, you need to discipline yourself to spend time with the Lord at the beginning of the day. 
Not the end, the beginning. What happens if you say, well, I'll get to that tonight after I've had some supper and it'll never happen. <laughs> you say, well, I'm, I'm just going to, I'll put that off for now. I'll get to it later, but right now I've really got to get these things done. Hey, I've tried that method before and I've failed every time I try that method because my heart, I need to take my heart in the morning before I have it attached to anything else and before I'm pursuing anything else and fix it upon the Lord Jesus. So if I don't do it first thing in the morning, it's probably not going to happen. And if it does happen, I've lost part of my heart by that time and my focus by that particular time. I've discovered about myself I'm a, I'm a type A personality. Anybody else here type A? Driven, Martha types, I want to accomplish things, I'm a doer. You know, that's me. <laughs> I'm just like Martha. So I know that about myself. And so, because I know that about myself, I have got to discipline myself to say, okay, this, I'm not going to do anything else until I've spent some time with Jesus Christ today, this morning. So whatever you have to do to make that happen, do it. Go to bed earlier if you have to. Set your alarm and put it on the, de uh, you know, the dresser across the room so you've got to get out of bed to turn it off instead of putting the snooze down. Whatever you have to do to make sure you have that time, do it because it's that important. Uh, another principle that might help you, find a place where you can be alone without interruption. Jesus talked in Mark 6, 6 about when you pray, go into your inner room and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So you and I have to find a place where we can be alone with the Lord without interruptions. That means without phone calls, without... Notices of texts going off, uh, notices of emails, all of those things that tend to distract us, we need to find a place where they're not distracting us and where people are not distracting us or interrupting us, where we can take some time to be alone with Jesus Christ. So do you have a place like that? Is there any place where you can just go for a walk and, and know that you can just be alone? You're not going to be interrupted um, People won't be asking you questions or whatever. You can be away from people. You can just focus in on Christ. If you can think of a place like that, that's good. If you're the first one up in the morning in your family, anywhere in the house can be that place for you because you, you just leave your technology behind, go into that room, spend some time with Jesus. But find a place like that. Third principle. Read the Bible and talk to God about what you have read. That would be our comparison of what Mary was doing, sitting at the Lord's feet, hearing his word. Well, how do we hear the Lord's word? Here it is. So read it. And I would suggest even read it out loud. You're hearing it as well as it going into your brain. It's going into your ears. So read the Bible and then pray about the things that you have just read. Now, I want you to remember that when you do this, your purpose is to connect with God through Jesus Christ. Your purpose is not to read so many chapters. This is one of the reasons why in my own devotional life, I, I will not read through the Bible in a year. Not to say that that's bad or wrong. I just don't think it works for your devotional life because you are under pressure now to read four to five chapters every day. Whether you connect with God or not is irrelevant. That's your mission in life is to get through those four or five chapters so you can check it off 
No, that's not your mission. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to sit at Jesus' feet and let him speak to you so that you can obey what he says and then speak back to him so that there's this two-way relationship going on. To spend time loving him, adoring him, hearing him for the purpose of developing your relationship to him. That's the purpose of Bible study and reading the Word. Now, if after you spent some time in devotions, you want to read through the Bible in a year, go for it. But I just personally just don't think it works that well for your devotional life. Now, maybe some of you can make it work. And if you can, more power to you. I'm glad you can do that. Just for me, it hasn't worked. In fact, sometimes I'll get bogged down in the first paragraph I read, and I'll just stay there for 30 minutes. <laughs> That's just the way I, I function when I get together with the Lord and I have my time with the Lord. So, read the Bible, talk about what you've read to the Lord. Relationships are dynamic, aren't they? You, you can't program them. It would be kind of weird if, if I said to Debbie, um, every night at 6 o'clock, you and I are going to go into our bedroom and you're going to talk to me for 30 minutes and I'm going to listen. Then we're done. And the next day we're going to come back and we're going to do it all over again. And it's going to be from 6 to 6.30, exactly 30 minutes, and you say what you have to say, and I'll listen. That's it. You know, we don't, we don't, <laughs> our relationships are not like that, are they? They're, they're fluid. Sometimes we might speak for five minutes, and maybe sometimes when we go on date night, it's much longer than 30 minutes. It just depends on what we need to talk about and where our relationship is at that particular time. And so I would encourage you to seek to develop a fluid, dynamic, vital, intimate, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. So here are some suggestions for you this morning. Choose a book of the Bible to read. I don't think it works very well just to go, you know, this, and I'll read this today, and okay, Lord, how about there? And You just never know where you're going to read. Choose a book and work through it. And if you haven't done this before, choose a book in the New Testament. It's probably going to be a lot easier for you than trying to read Nahum or Habakkuk or Jeremiah or... Ecclesiastes or something like that. Choose one of the Gospels. If you've never read the Bible, choose Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And if you've read those, choose one of the epistles. As you're reading, here's another suggestion, have a notebook and a pen handy. Because you will find that you will get more out of your time in the Word. The Lord will speak to you, at least He does for me, much more strongly when, when I am not only just reading, but I am actually writing. In fact, you might try this. Whatever you're reading, write it out. Did you know that God commanded the kings of Israel to write out the first five books of the law when they became the king? Now that's a lot of writing. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had to write that thing out word for word. So you might try that. Take a book of the Bible and just write it. Because you know what that does? It slows you down. So you have to start thinking about what you're actually writing. So, there's an idea for you. But have a notebook and pen handy. And what I like to do, now some people are kind of funny about this, they don't like to write in their Bible. If you don't like to want to write in your Bible, then print, a, print out the passage you want to read for that day on a piece of paper and mark that baby up all over the place. Like look for repeated words in the passage and circle them and draw lines to each other with arrows. Um, look for the main dominant thought of that chapter or paragraph, whatever it is you're reading. You might want to take some time and outline what you're reading. 
What you're wanting to do is get a little bit deeper than just a surface skimming over the text. You want the Lord to actually... What you're doing here is you're meditating on what you're reading. So to meditate, you have to slow down and think. And that's what these tools help you to do. With a pen in your hand, every time you write something, you're thinking about what you're writing. And so I like to write things like some observations. I observe words like therefore, because that tells me something. But, that's a word of contrast. If, it's a condition. I, I just notice those things. Um, I'm looking for the verbs. Just noticing the verbs. What are all the verbs here? Hit, run, ski, whatever it happens to be. I, I'm looking for those things because that will tell you something about the flavor of that passage. I'm looking especially for applications. How does my life today uh, correspond with what was happening back in this text that I'm reading? What is a time-arching transferable principle that was true then and is still true today because it's a timeless truth? Those are gold. Write those down. And then you might even write down one or two specific ways that today you're going to apply that timeless truth in your life. You see what we're doing? Jesus is speaking and you're sitting and you're listening and you're having a conversation. A relationship is developing between you and the living Christ. That's what I want you to seek after every day. Another suggestion is to keep it fresh. Sometimes we say, okay, I'm going to read the, you know, I'm going to read the book of Leviticus today. And so we get through about the first three or four verses and we don't understand them. And so we close our Bible and say, okay, I'll pick it up tomorrow, <laughs> you know, and we will not deviate from that. I would say, if, if this isn't working, if you're not finding yourself connecting with Jesus, do something else. Don't just keep on going, doing the same thing day after day after day. So in my life, I like to switch things up. I like variety. And so I might read a book of the Bible, and then I might think, you know, I, I just want to do something different. And so recently, I switched from reading books of the Bible to reading sermons that are, have been especially blessed of the Lord. And so I, I've been reading two or three sermons by... And the people I like to read are not contemporaries. They're dead guys. They've been dead two, three hundred, four hundred years. Those are the best writings you'll ever find. <laughs> read the Puritans and read the Reformers and read the great evangelical leaders that came out of all of that. It's a little bit more difficult to read because they use old-fashioned words, but they're so solid and so deep compared with the fluff that you'll find today. So I, I enjoy that. And so I'll read a really good sermon and I'll meditate on it and think about it. Okay, Lord, what would you have me do with what I just read? Turn whatever you're reading into prayer. Okay, so the Lord has talked to you now. You've got some notes, you've got some observations, some applications. Take all of that and talk to the Lord about what you've just read. Now you've got a two-way communication happening, don't you? And you can basically, if you can have a 20-hour time with Lord if you wanted to because you could read and then you could talk to Him. You could read, you could talk to Him. It's like Jesus spending the whole night in prayer with His Father. I've often wondered, didn't he run out of things to talk about? You know, after 10 minutes, I, I think I'd run dry. But the Lord just kept talking to his father. And it's because it was a two-way communication, I believe. Jesus understood what the father was telling him. And then he would talk back to the father. And there was two-way two communication. One of the best things you can do is to pray through Scripture. And one of the best places you can go is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms was given to the church as a way of singing 
or as a way of praying and developing relationship to Christ. And so, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but take a psalm. If you don't know where else to go, okay, today's the 23rd, right? I would take Psalm 23. And I would read through Psalm 23, and as soon as something struck me, I would stop and just talk to God about whatever just hit me. <laughs> and you don't have to really worry about studying it and getting the Hebrew and the Greek right or any of that stuff. All you have to do is focus on your relationship to Christ. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can stop there and probably pray for about five minutes. Thanking God for how well he's been your shepherd. All the ways he's led you. All the ways he's provided for you. So, just praying through scripture, praying through the psalm, praying through one of the epistles is wonderful. Another suggestion is to incorporate singing in your time with Christ. Do any of you ever do that? You ever sing in part of your devotional life? It is so... Don't, don't you find that it is a wonderful refreshing to your own relationship to Christ to sing? I do, and I don't do it enough. I need to do that more. So, find a hymnal if you know some of the old hymns. Or you can go on the internet and, and print out lyrics to any song you want. Get four, five, six, seven songs, um, and then just sing them to the Lord. You're by yourself, right? Nobody's around. This is a place of solitude and quiet. Just, just sing them to the Lord. Don't, you don't have to worry whether anybody's going to hear you or not. So here are the, the questions we need to grapple with. Number one, how much do you value communion with Christ? Do you value it the way Jesus did? Number two, figure out what is preventing you from making that the number one priority in your life. Okay, get it. Get it in your mind right now. And then number three, determine today that you will change whatever it is that's stopping you from doing that so that you are obedient to Jesus Christ. And I've given you several suggestions of what can help. Spend time at the beginning of the day. Find a place where you're without interruptions. Read the Bible. Talk to God about what you've read. And then incorporate singing and all of that. You see, at the beginning we talked about making sure we get all those rocks in the jar before we add the gravel and add the sand and add the water. Um, let's not make the mistake of filling up our jar with gravel and sand. And then there's no room left for what is really, really important. Jesus said only one thing is necessary. Do you really believe that sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word is the only thing that is really necessary? If we do we'll make sure we get that rock in first. Let's pray. Lord, I, I do pray that you would help all of us to apply what we've heard today, that we would not walk away thinking, well, that was kind of an interesting sermon and, and not be changed by it. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would change our hearts, change our minds, and give us a resolve. Help us to be resolved that we will seek you as the number one priority and that nothing will be more important than that. So Lord, would you do this thing today for your people, that you might be glorified and that we might be edified and, and strengthened in our faith with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.